Con Radio, presented by Wizard World. Radio for geeks. You're listening to the Candare Podcast, your sidekick in the quest for knowledge, power, and entertainment. So strap yourselves in and prepare for victory! Welcome to another episode of Candare, a tribute to comics and pop culture right here on Wizard World's Con Radio. I am Jeremy Colley. And I'm Jack Doherty. I'm Kyle Pryor. And joining us this week, Scott Schmidt and Brian Atkins to talk about a project they've kept uh, really secret. close to the chest called Final Street that we don't even know about. So uh, very excited to hear more about this later in the episode. But first... We're going to be uh, talking about Gene Wilder in this week's Retro Roundtable, uh, just celebrating the man's life. Uh, my God, what a funny person, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And then in the comic dump bin, what do we got? Anything good, guys? Flash Rebirth number one. Ooh, that'll be interesting. I uh, forgot to read something, so I dug in my comicsology bin of free titles and found something. Mm. So hey, There's a lot of stuff in there. There is. I, I, I found a book called The Killer that was uh, pretty interesting. I don't know how much... Well, we'll get into that wow. later. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and then we'll turn our full attention over to Scott and Brian and talk about Final Street. So, let's kick it off with this week's Retro Round Table. There's no earthly way of knowing which direction we are going. There's no knowing where we're rowing or which way the river's flowing. Is it raining? Is it snowing? Is a hurricane a-blowing? <laughs> Not a speck of light is showing, so the danger must be growing. Are the fires of hell a-glowing? Is the grizzly reaper mowing? Yes! The danger must be growing, for the rowers keep on rowing, and they're certainly not showing any signs that they are slowing! All right, guys, Gene Wilder, where do we start? How do we celebrate the man, the legend? Blazing Saddles. No, yeah, Blazing Saddles. (laughs) (laughs) Man, a movie, um, you know, definitely couldn't be done today. Obviously, mm-hmm. I oh, mean, no. uh, that's too much offense. Well, oh, yeah. Most of the movies that Gene Wilder did couldn't be done today. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. I was watching a clip of it today, and I guess it was remastered in HD, and it, it doesn't look that aged just because it's a Western, I guess. Yeah. But it looks like it, it kind of holds up still. Comedy's still there. <laughs> I love that movie. So, I mean, that's probably the one I know him for best. But, uh, I mean, even aside from him, that movie's just fantastic. I get no kick from champagne. Remember that scene? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Priceless. What was his name in that movie? The The something kid. The The Waco Waco kid. kid. That was it. That was it. (laughs) Fastest hands in the West. That was awesome. (laughs) So the guys pull up their guns and they're like, one, two, three. And they all get shot out of his hand. It doesn't even look like he moved. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the chess piece when he's like put your hand around that chess piece and when I count to three close him <laughs> it's not there oh, man that was an awesome movie what else we got uh, Young Frankenstein 
One Frankenstein. Thing, excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> One thing I did not know about this movie, I just learned today, uh, that he, you know, typically when you think of a Mel Brooks film, you think Mel Brooks is the one who brought the project yeah. to the forefront. Not the case. Gene Wilder brought really? this one out. Yeah, he said he was watching yeah. uh, Frankenstein and started just writing, you know, how he'd like to see it. <laughs> and then uh, his agent... They sent it to Mel Brooks and they talked and worked it out and yeah. Did they have eyeliner on in that movie? Oh yeah, yeah. That, that was a big oh, deal yeah. for black <laughs> totally. white movies though. Oh yeah, accentuate the eyes, I guess. Oh. One thing I never got for that movie is uh, Frau. What's her name? The horse. Fruka. Yeah. Yeah. Frau I don't get it. <laughs> I what? couldn't tell you. That's before me. I, yeah, I don't get that whole joke. I mean, it's so, okay. Funny. So the whole joke is that Frau Bruker is the, actually the name of the housemaid. And so they're, everyone's just deathly afraid of her. It's also why the lightning goes off every time someone says her name. Right. So it also spooks the horses every time. <laughs> okay. And so it's just that no matter where they are in this enormous castle. She's like right just, there. Yeah, you hear the horses <laughs> way off in the distance. Yeah, the horses neigh. <laughs> yeah, that movie, uh, more than any other Gene Waller movies, uh, like is a huge part of like me growing up and me and my grandpa. He would always uh, let me watch that growing up. And uh, if my mother knew, <laughs> she, right. she would not have been okay with it. But, um, but man, no, that's a I'd love to put on whenever I'm doing my drawing because the dialogue is so crisp and hilarious in that movie that just listening to it, oh, man, it's hilarious. Like, I don't, I almost, now the visual comedy is great as well. But, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a movie that I can just put on and listen to. It's so good. The dialogue is so tight. His uh, delivery. Is what made. I mean, he was just he had he was very dry, but at the same yeah. time, uh, I don't know. He could be very eccentric at the same time without being you know physically eccentric. Does that make sense? Great knockers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like Gene Wilder, he almost played his roles as like a straight man. Um, yeah. Just a very dry delivery, but yeah, it was just his timing. Uh, or just that small bit of inflection. So it was, I think it was always the nuance to his performance that really gave it the, the potency it had. Yeah, that's a good word for him, nuance. He had nuance. <laughs> <laughs> nuance, he had. And of course, you can't talk about young Frankenstein without uh, Marty Feldman, just the goofiest looking man alive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I always forget that Peter Boyle was in that movie, too, until you played that clip a little bit ago. Mm. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that's true. I always forget that's Peter Boyle. <laughs> Another one for me was uh, The Producers. I've never seen that yeah, one. Me either. It's, uh, I know the first time I saw it, it was uh, the Nathan Lane, Matthew Broderick, oh, 2001 okay. musical adaptation. Oh, that's, yeah, that's I forgot right. About that. But that's, uh, I saw this one, I mean, it was probably like a month or two ago, so it was really recent. But I mean, it's like shot for shot, the same movie, but it's just like he's a neurotic accountant that uh, comes up with this idea to make a flop, like a Broadway flop, so that they can just take the cash and leave. And then ends up setting up the producer so that he gets blamed for it. And then he runs away with uh, some starlet and goes to, like, Rio. Man. It's nice. the funniest thing ever. Are you guys uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm fans? I haven't seen um, as much of it as I should. <laughs> There's a whole season. I think it was season four where Mel Brooks was on the show. And uh, spoiler alert, by the way. Uh, should I continue? I mean, are you guys going to go dig this oh, up yeah. and watch it? All right. yeah, no, Fourth season, no I will, I will have forgotten. Okay. <laughs> so uh, the whole 
season, Larry David is being pursued by Mel Brooks to play the lead role in the Broadway adaptation of the producers. And he can't <laughs> figure out why, and he decide, you know thinks he's going to turn it down, but at the last minute decides, I'm going to do it. And the whole season, you're just kind of like, why is Mel doing this? You know, why is why is he picking Larry David? He's obviously awful for this part, you know. <laughs> and at the end of the season, you learn that they picked Larry David intentionally because he was horrible. They were trying to tank <laughs> the producers, like in the producers, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was funny, but he ended up being fantastic, and the show went well. Mel wanted the show to do horribly that way he could retire or something mm. like that. I don't remember, but yeah, Gene Wilder was awesome. That's in that role. That's, yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, and yeah. it's. It wasn't being Matthew Broderick trying to step into the same role that Gene Wilder played, mm-hmm. uh, because that's, I mean, it's just, it's not fair. <laughs> it's right. certainly not equal footing. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate that's Factory? Oh, yeah. Say, yeah. That's the classic. Oh, yeah. I used to not care for that movie too much, I think mostly because of the singing. I'm there with yeah. you. <laughs> I can totally relate. But he was... Willy Wonka is a creepy character, anyway. Right. But at the same t- time, seeing the Johnny Depp one, I actually <laughs> like that one better now. Oh yeah, man. I haven't seen the Johnny Depp one, and I mean it's been years since I watched Willy Wonka. But I, I mean, as a kid, that movie freaked me out. I didn't yeah, know I just, what to think about I it. I couldn't yeah. handle it. Yeah, it was <laughs> just like there. like you said, all the singing that's going on. Like you know, so I'm I'm setting myself up for this kids movie with all this singing, and there's this there's this literal crazy person in every scene in the corner <laughs> of the room, and you know, I just never. It wasn't until I, you know, got older and, and watched it and, you know, could appreciate the performance and, the and uh, you know, just what he was doing with that role, you know. But beforehand, yeah, I, was, I thought the movie was crazy. Well, for me, it was just that, like, as a kid, I realized that all these kids are dying and no one cared. Yeah. 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 I was just like, what is going on? Right. That's what I, li- I did like about the Johnny Depp version because it, well, of course, with Tim Burton, it's going to be the darker right which that's how the book actually was so it followed the book that way better but i appreciate what the remake was trying to do Mm -hmm. um we watched it and we enjoyed it but johnny depp's (sighs) willy wonka i mean i just again didn't care for just i don't know why there was very effeminate very michael jackson-y very misunderstood (laughs) you didn't know what to you couldn't get a read on him you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and the Um, oompa loompas they take, were funny. Take Johnny Depp and the new Oompa Lopas. I didn't care for. I like the original ones better. Right. Well, I think that an important part of that movie was everything was so nonsensical and out of this world okay. that Gene Wilder, when he played Willy Wonka, it was more toned down. It was a bit more reserved, and I thought that was a good equalizer to the movie. Whereas Johnny Depp, Johnny Depp's performance, he was also weird. Yeah. And so just I just, I don't know. I, I didn't feel like it had that balance there that the that the first one did. One thing I heard uh, Gene Wilder say in an interview today was that when they were making Willy Wonka, that first scene where he, you know, he comes out and stumbles, rolls, and then pops up, that wasn't really, that wasn't in the script. He was just supposed to walk right out, and he uh, proposed the idea. He goes, you know, how about this? You know, I'll come out with a walking cane, I'll stick it in a brick, I'll fall over, roll, and then pop up like everything's okay. And then I'll say, well, <laughs> well, why do you want to do that? You know, what's the point of doing that? He said, because from then on in the movie, the audience will never know if I'm telling the truth or not. Mm. And 
think about it. I mean, yeah. Your first impression when it's a misconception. That you don't you know, know if you can trust anything yeah. you're saying the whole you time. Yeah. What's up? Yeah. What's, yeah. I know one of That's, my favorite scenes from that movie was the uh, the scary tunnel. Oh, jeez. watching it as a kid freaked me out. Totally watching it me now freaks it. me out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can handle it now. <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite part about it was that the only actor that knew what was going on was Gene Wilder. Everybody else had genuine reactions to that because they had the lines. They had no idea that when all the lights came on, they had no idea that was going to happen. I Yeah, I wonder how they filmed it. And like in the context you're saying, they had no idea what was going on. You know, they're obviously not jutting down this uh, <laughs> underground tunnel or whatever. But I wonder how it was filmed and how they did invoke reaction out of them. Yeah, I mean, that was uh, from what I understood from there was an interview I was reading. I, again, don't know if somebody took it out of context or not, but I was just reading interviews today. And somebody was saying that Gene Wilder was like the only person that knew all the lights and all the imagery was going to come on. All the other actors just had their lines. They thought it was going to be a boat ride just like down a stream or something. Oh, man. So all the reactions were genuine, like people freaking out, like what's going on (laughs) right now? I'm going to have to watch that again. I know. Oh, my God. That's my favorite is just him singing because he's so like calm and collective. Like, you know, in his head, something's going on, but he's just like a statue just yeah. singing this well, monotone. Yeah, and again, I think that plays back to like the balance that he gave to that movie was because like, my goodness. Yeah. It's so weird. Oh, <laughs> he yeah. just, it's like and he's... him being so calm about it made it more weird. Well, yeah. You, you just, again, another way <laughs> he's to like, throw oh, the audience it's a Tuesday. off. Like, <laughs> maybe I should be calm because he's calm, but at the same time, the son What's of a bitch on? was pretending he was crippled a little bit ago, and he's not. You know? so <laughs> I do. Now he's killing kids <laughs> and blaming the parents. Then Marilyn Manson redid that whole boat scene on one of his Oh, uh, yeah, for uh, Lunchbox. Yep. Yeah. Oh, or was, was it Lunchbox? No, no, no. It was. No, it wasn't. Uh, I don't remember which album it was. Oh, do you guys know? I don't. Oh. What about you, Kyle? You look like a Manson fan. <laughs> Do I? <laughs> I keep wanting no. to say "Smells Like Children," but I don't even know if that's an album name or not. That's, uh, that's, that's an album name. Is it? Uh, Thank it goodness. Wow. It was on. <laughs> yeah, Dope Hat. Uh, yeah, it was Dope Hat. Dope Hat. That's right. It was Dope yeah. Hat. That's the only song I've heard by Marilyn Manson. Was uh, that one you got there from Nightmare Before Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> This, it's funny. I mean, I'm going to get off topic here a little bit, but something just popped into my head here. You know, we're looking at Marilyn Manson and, you know, obviously I think he's even covered maybe that tunnel song before. I don't remember. Um, But anyway, looking at some of these song titles, can you imagine 20 years from now, you know, at night you'll see the infomercials come on. We're like, well, you hear all your favorite hits, right? (laughs) The time time music or what is it? I don't know how they do with bands of the 70s and 80s. Like, all your favorite, you know, big hair hits of the 80s. And then they scroll, you'll hear clips of them. I mean, let's take a look at some of these. uh, Who could forget your favorite cake and sodomy? (laughs) Dirty chicken gangbangs (laughs) Boy that one takes me back (laughs) If I keep going We're going to have to put a parental advisory On this episode And I don't want to It's just Reminds me of college (laughs) Man reminds me of high school For sure Those were good days Weren't they A few things I learned today In uh, reading up on him That I never knew One He was married to Gilda Radner Mm Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Yeah. No idea. Mm-mm. I think she was his third wife. Maybe that's why I saw a post somewhere that said, say hi to Gilda Forrest. Oh, well, yeah, that makes that sense. makes total sense now. Yeah, that was horrible. Um, and his real name, Jerome Silberman. That oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was Gene Wilder. I did, too. 
Hmm. In fact, it's not. I'm going to make up a stage name. <laughs> what would it be? Max Power. Max Power. I got it from a hair dryer. You might have a, a couple adult entertainers that'll fight you for that. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Uh, anything else, gentlemen, on uh, Gene Wilder? No. So one of my one of my favorite movies uh, was that See No Evil, Hear No Evil with oh, Richard yes. Pryor. Well, I have not seen any of their movies together. Neither, my dad was oh, talking about all day. I have never those two it. together. Oh my god. So, so the first time I watched it was on like um, they had like uh, for TV edit version of it, <laughs> of course. And so I was like, oh man, this movie is hilarious, you know. And so uh, I grew up in Jacksonville, Illinois, which has uh, actually a large community of deaf. The Illinois School for the Deaf is there, and oh, wow. so um, I thought it was hilarious, and and uh, so I was like, hey mom. <laughs> We should rent this movie and watch it. <laughs> and it got to that first, like that first scene. Whenever uh, Gene Wilder, it's like he's standing in the road. Yes. <laughs> and the guy's yelling at him to get out of the road. And then so finally he sees, you know, Gene Wilder's character sees the guy's lips and hears what he's saying. And he starts cussing back at him. But Richard Pryor's character doesn't know that he's yelling at someone else. And so he starts trying to pick a fight with them. And they just start cussing <laughs> through that whole scene. I was just like, oh, my goodness. Uh, maybe this wasn't the movie I thought it was. So sorry, Mom. Uh, <laughs> so was the TV edit, like, full of, like, uh, fudges? And, uh... Oh, yeah, yeah. Just horrible edited cuts and things of that sort. But I didn't realize it. You know, I was too You young. piece of crap. <laughs> You're right, exactly. Can you imagine if they tried to make a TV edit for Blazing Saddles today? Oh, it's not even worth the time. You know what? I think I have actually good. seen it on they TV, do. though. Yeah. I've seen well, it. I know, um, is it AMC? There's some movie channel that'll show it, and they don't cut anything out. I mean, yeah. They'll show it at, like, 11 at night, and they don't cut anything out. Wow. Well, no, except for uh, the, the N-word, they'll bleep that out. Wow. The, the old TV edits, it was like 30 minutes shorter. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> oh, my God. Like, they just cut out scenes. Right. Like, one of, like, unfortunately, they cut out, like, one of my favorite gags, which is whenever they're taking the auditions for villains and they're all lined up. And it gets to them, and they're in the KKK suits. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and they're like, hey, why are your hands so black? And he's like, oh, we just got done burning crosses. And he starts rubbing the palms of his hands. Yeah. He's coming off. <laughs> that part's not on TV version. No, 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 no. Oh, my God. I won't have to watch that movie again. Yeah. Uh, that's one of my. That's the first movie I ever saw Gene Wilder in was in Blazing Saddles, and that's my. That's the favorite way that I've ever seen any character introduced was him in the jail, just hanging upside down. Right. S- splashes the water on him, and he just keeps asking him all these questions, and then he fixes himself once he figures out what's going on. <laughs> I want to sit here and quote that movie, but. I feel like we might get in trouble if I do. So. Yeah, another parental guidance. <laughs> yeah, another parental. Well, not even that. Just, uh, oh, I don't even want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. The Let's just move past lyrics, it. Explicit lyrics. Explicit content. So anyway, Gene Wilder, thank you for, uh, man, all the laughs you've left us with. And uh, rest in peace. All right, so let's move right into the comic dump bin. Who would like to go first this week? Brian and Scott, are you both participating in the dump bin? I just read some comics last night, so I can talk about what I read if you... <laughs> if Hell yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. Go right ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay, so I just uh, I just started reading through the second trade of the Star Wars, uh, written by Jason Aaron and uh, oh. with uh, Stuart Eminem and uh, Bianchi on Colors. There you go. And my goodness, it is so good. He's a great it's writer. so good. Yeah, so it was like... Uh, so I, I just, I'm a trade waiter, so... 
I loved getting this. Uh, this whole thing as a trade was fantastic because the first issue that it opens up on is the one where Ben Kenobi has like, you're getting like his inner monologue as he's kind of put the whole Jedi thing behind him. And he just has to sit there and watch Luke grow up. Oh yes. I remember that. And everyone's like being dying of like drought on Tatooine and all this other stuff. My goodness. Just what some great character moments. And I think one of my favorite one of my favorite lines um, in it was he's sitting in his own, in like his little house, and um, he's talking about like what Obi-Wan would have told, I mean, uh, not Obi-Wan, but uh, Qui-Gon Jinn would have oh, told him about okay. like there's there's uh, grace and restraint and things of that sort. And he's just talking about how he was always taught how to fight and how to deal and not how to just sit there and waste away. Sure. No. Yeah. I always wondered that, like, how, you know, how could you stay sane for that long, you know, removed from the world, mm. living like a hermit? can't even do that for 10 minutes. No. <laughs> as soon as you get a down. Yeah. Yeah. But no. right after that issue, uh, it's great because they got Luke Skywalker and he's like trying to track down, trying to go to Coruscant. Um, and then he gets kept, uh, captured by like a hut and he, who's collecting all these Jedi artifacts. Oh, shit. And it is so cool because the hut takes him as like the last Jedi, which is as like a living artifact in his collection. And oh, it's so great. You get to see Dengar versus uh, the bounty hunter versus Chewbacca. Oh, nice. And, and Jason Aaron just did a fantastic job about catching that Star Wars like feel. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's all canon too. Yeah. Yeah, which is great. Um, and then Stuart Emin, obviously, his art makes me drool. And uh, very jealous. So, yeah, but he I, does a great job char- catching like character moments and expressions. And- right. I, I uh, was reading that run for a while, and I kind of ducked out, not because I wasn't enjoying it. Just I, uh, you know, I, I got to pick and choose. I got a lot of stuff to read here. <laughs> yeah. But um, one that stuck out with me, and I don't remember what issue it was, was um, a page out of Ben Kenobi's journal that Luke had recovered, and the whole uh, whole issue is him. Oh, how was it? Ben Kenobi documenting his watching Luke from afar, like as you know, as he's like 10, 12, 13 years old. And I don't remember the details, but man, it was it was a great book. At the end, Owen comes by and says, you need to stop interfering with our family. Leave Luke alone. I don't want him to have anything to do with this. It, it was a heavy, heavy issue. So I definitely recommend that. Um, another Jason Aaron book that's really good. Uh, the Goddamned. Have you read that? I have. Man, that was a good book. I haven't read the. Mm-hmm. I haven't read the conclusion yet, but I've. Uh, uh, I don't, is the fifth issue out? I don't know. I didn't make it that far, honestly. I mean, not again. Not that it wasn't a good book. I just I have a lot to read on the way it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I've I've been reading that. I think I've read three issues of it. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, it really is. He's a solid writer, that's for sure. Yeah. Very cool, man. Awesome. Jack, how about you? You want to go next? Sure. This one picks up right from, what was it, last last week? Two weeks ago when I read the uh, DC Rebirth. Yes. This picks up pretty much parallel to when that was happening, just in Flash's uh, point of view. Okay. It starts out, there's a, a murder. A woman has been killed, stabbed to death, right in front of her son. There's a couple of cops sitting there kind of razzing, you know, oh, you know, so-and-so is going to take this one kind of heart to heart, because that's how Barry Allen's bomb got killed. He shows up and he kind of wisecracks to them, and the police chief 
wants him off the case because it's too close to, to home for him. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, while Barry's talking to him, he gets this flash of lightning in his head. And he sees a reverse flash. He tries to grab him and kill him. And all of a sudden, snap back to reality, and he's not really holding anything. And he's wondering what's going on. All of a sudden, these visions start happening. And he goes and talks to his dad about the whole thing. And his dad's like, oh, you just need to slow down. You know, quit thinking about... Your mom's murder was fixed. Or it was... The case was solved. The uh, reverse flash or Doctor Professor Zoom is in jail now. Just kind of let it go. So he ends up, you know, just kind of living his life. Uh, he's at the lab trying to do forensics for the, the murder. And meanwhile, because all the machines are so slow doing their thing, he goes and saves people's life. He's just kind of doing inner monologue talking. And next thing you know, he runs into this big ball of lightning that's in front of him, and he kind of sees a figure in it, and it ends up being Kid Flash. Oh, really? So he pulls him out of it, and then all of a sudden he starts remembering a lot of stuff. They talk about, you know, what had happened. Kid Flash lets him know, you know, there's someone's been watching us, you know, taking our memories and changing the world. And... Uh, Flash is like, well, I'm going to go find the Teen Titans and find out what's going on. See if they remember anything. He ends up leaving. He doesn't go talk to them yet. I'm not sure why, but he goes to visit Batman. And Batman's in the Batcave doing forensics, trying to figure out what the deal is with the Watchmen button. And then ends up being some kind of super heavy radiation on the button. Oh. So it's got to be, got to be Dr. Manhattan. Manhattan, right. Oh, and then really that's... Is that how it ends? Oh, no, there's... Yeah, it cuts back to the, mur- the murder scene where the cops are standing out, and they're still kind of bad mouth and buried, and you see this, like, lightning-shaped yellow figure, so I don't know if that's Professor Zoom's back, too, or, or what's going on, but it pretty much ended there. Hmm. Very intriguing. Wow. I can't not wait to see what they do with this watch. I know, I'm so curious. Yeah, so it seems like all these different books all come to that same kind of ending, and then there's going to be a big... Yeah, like reveal or something. Mm-hmm. I don't like the art too much in this. It's real, real sketchy. I, 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 there's other books that I read that had the same kind of art, but it just doesn't. I don't think it fits for the Flash for me. Not that it's like bad art, just no, not yeah. the right style. Yeah, for I've this seen because I've seen the same kind of style and other stuff that I do like, but for this, it just doesn't doesn't fit. Yeah, right. All right. And I found out that there's issue six is coming out, and that was only one, so I'm behind. So snap. Very cool. Yeah, it sounds like uh, the rebirths where uh, you need to be if you're in yeah. DC. I have to pick up some of those. I've read the Batman Rebirth, and I wasn't uh, <coughs> just issue one. I wasn't huge on it. Hmm. Was not. Is it big, just him hanging out in the Batcave and then gets less. visited real quick? And yeah, yeah, yeah. That was about <laughs> so it. I think the first of everything is going to be kind of centralized around that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. All right, well, my book, uh, again, like I said earlier, I didn't uh, have time to read what I wanted to read for this week. I'll save that for next. Uh, But uh, I read The Killer, uh, which was a free offering on Comixology. Or excuse me, maybe it's just Killer. And uh, so what it is, there's not a lot of detail to go in with this book, but it starts with an assassin, a hitman, who's in an apartment window looking over a narrow street at the uh, window and the front door of, like, another apartment. He's there waiting on a target. And he starts explaining that, uh, you know, I've been here for nine days waiting on so-and-so to show up, you know, kind of making it like maybe he's just waiting around for a friend. But turns out, you know, you see him having a scope on his shoulder just watching out the window. 
because my target, for some reason, nine days later, you know, hasn't arrived. It's not too, you know, untypical of him, but I'm starting to get a little worried. And he uh, starts talking. It's it's a narration of himself, more or less, Mm -hmm. explaining why he's an assassin, how he justifies being this assassin. Um... I think he said he used to be like try to be a cop or a detective or something or something, but it wasn't working out and found out that killing people is where the real money's out. <laughs> but um sure I do. Right. <laughs> what? No, just to get by. <laughs> right. Be nice to this guy. Uh but uh yeah, like I said, been he describes himself as not a bad guy, but uh not a nice guy. He's just kind of jaded with the world. He doesn't like anybody. He leaves everybody alone, and in turn, he just expects to be left alone. Uh, then he, there you go. Yeah, he delves a little bit into his uh, financial situation. His plan, he's coming up on his retirement, so he's like, a few more of these jobs in a few more years, and I'll be ready to retire. My goal is $5 million. He says, but of course, I can't go out and buy a Ferrari or do you know buy all the luxuries of life I want because I'd be exposed. So he has, uh, I don't remember where, foreign country, uh, but he has bought like a beachside house with all this empty land around it. And he plans just to go be there alone like he's always wanted when he retires. That's pretty much the sum sum up of it, I guess. Uh, Like I said, free on Comixology. Check it out. I don't know how to delve too much deeper in it. It's pretty one-dimensional. It doesn't really go (laughs) anywhere from that. Uh, But in the process of him explaining who he is, what he's about... At the end of the book, he's like, okay, target or no, I just got to run to the bathroom, run to the fridge here quick. And in that time he does, he comes back and his target's getting away. Oh. His target has come home, getting away to be continued. So, killer on comiXology. I used yeah, to be free anyway. It's a, that's a really good book. I've read a couple issues of it. It's, yeah. um, it's French, I think. Uh, it got translated and brought over here. Um, it's, it's pretty old. I, I read it like probably eight, ten years ago, maybe. Holy shit, really? <laughs> I, yeah, I want to say. Um, I'm pretty sure it's called The Killer, yeah. And it's published by Arcadia or whatever. Well, good thing there are no rules on this retro roundtable. Yeah. I'll be busted <laughs> out here, you know? <laughs> No, but it's a that's a really good book. I you can get it in trade, as far as I know, and it's got like six issues or something. So yeah, I highly years recommend later, it. I'd certainly hope so. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they finished it. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, another successful comic dump, Ben. So with that, let's just move right into real world heroes. Jack, who do we have this week? David Fung from and, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And what has David Fung done to deserve a spot on our wall of justice? We know Louisiana got flooded again. Mm-hmm. And it was real bad a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. This guy, it was all over the internet and the news. I'll post the video on the website once uh, we get that up and going. But during the flooding, him and a couple other guys were on a boat, you know, just paddling around. And they saw a, a car, a convertible, started sinking. So they went over, tried, you know, getting... There was somebody in it. They tried getting somebody out. And the the car just kept going under, under, under. So David jumped in the water, and he was able to get the roof pulled off enough to get the person that was inside out. And just as he pulled that woman out, the car totally just went under. Really? So it was, yeah, right in the nick of time. And she was yelling in there, I'm drowning, I'm drowning. And once she pulled... Or he pulled her up out of the water, she said, my dog's in the car, too. Oh, crap. So he just... 
dives underwater. He's gone for... I don't, it, in the video, I don't remember seeing it. It didn't look like it was that long at all, but he all of a sudden pops up with the dog. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> but it seemed a lot longer to him. Oh, I'm oh sure. Because yeah. the water, it was just totally brown. I don't even know how he could have seen where the car even went underwater. If it, Unless it just kind of stayed in... I don't know. It, maybe I'm thinking it's like a lake and it's like... Feet, feet deep. Like so. Loch Ness deep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they ended up, the dog was fine, the lady was fine, they are all alright. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that takes some serious balls. Jump back and then, oh my god, in the water to swim down to a car? Yeah, yeah. Man, there's this thing, um, just all this flooding has made me think about it, and uh, made me think about how I don't have one in my car, but there's this thing that you can buy, and you put in your glove compartment, and if you ever get in that situation, it's like a it's like a big prong thing. You stab your glass, and oh, that way yeah. you can, you're able to break it and actually get out of your car. They so. make them really? like a keychain type thing too. You can, yeah, uh huh. Yeah. If you take a uh, spark plug, actually, too, and hit it with the the metal tip in, it'll shatter a window, no problem. No oh, kidding. Nice. Yeah, it's no problem. It'll shatter a window. Not that I've done it. <laughs> shatter. I've seen it. Jack's seen window it. with spark plugs. <laughs> no, right. I steal cars all the time. It works great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And for that, David Fung, you have found a spot on our wall of justice. In the Hall of Heroes. Man, you have my respect and admiration, my mm-hmm. friend. Man, heck yeah. That's a true hero. All right. Well, with that all behind us, let's just turn our full attention over to Scott and Brian and talk about Final Street. Thanks again for being with us, guys. Yeah, no problem. Oh, super excited. I am, too, because I don't know anything yeah, about this is- project. So <laughs> I'm dying to ask. Tell us. <laughs> All about Final Street. Okay, uh, well, um, Final Street is essentially it's a beat 'em up video game comic. Yes. Um, <laughs> if, you, if, if you've you ever played, have us. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of what we found. It's like they just need that one sentence, and for those who played any of those, they're like, "I'm in. Mm-hmm. I got it." <laughs> yeah. Well, now Final Street. I mean, it makes me think of like Final Fight, Double yeah, Dragon. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, it's um, and essentially that's that's where we're coming from with the idea of the the story, the characters, just everything about it is uh, can sort of be broke down to like the inspirations of Final Fight, Streets of Rage, and Double Dragon, and just kind of the things that are in those games that just make it sort of its own genre. That's awesome. Now, how did you two come to work together? Have you collaborated before? Yeah, we've um, we've known each other for shoot, I don't know, five or six years probably now. Um, yeah, at least. And uh, we've worked with um, each other on a couple of short projects and some shorter stories, and you know, just kicking around the can on on tons of ideas, you know, when we could. But uh, this is actually the first like full on comic book project that we've that we've had the opportunity to sort of develop together and you know have an idea where we want to go with it. Right. So as far as uh, how this comic is going to look you know when i think of you know these games i'm thinking 8 bit 16 bit kind of look to it are you going to incorporate that kind of video game look into the story or is it going to how's it going to look well we had kind of talked about that and you know it's like um so uh, right off the bat like i'm going to be drawn in uh, like my regular comic book style uh so that i draw in and so the idea is that we want this to be so like okay so for instance like final fight and like Streets of Rage, all those take place in a world. And the 8-bit was just like a version to show that world. But we want to actually like draw the comic from inside that world. So we're not going to do um, 
it's not going to be like that Scott Program movie, like where every mm. once in a while, like an eight bit thing right. floats up in the sky or things mm. of that sort. Like we're like we're taking the story <laughs> in that actual world. Um, so everything's going to. I mean, so whenever they find, you know, like the big cooked ham in the trash can that you just going to ask over. about that no turkeys laying <laughs> yeah. on the ground <laughs> yeah yeah it, it's going to look like a ham you know and uh but <laughs> but so the actual inside the comic is going to be like that but as far as like the covers you know the the back book material things of that sort it's and we're going to rely heavily on the source material of um going back to those 8-bit roots and um you know working up some uh, some action sprites and things of that sort. And just a whole bunch of stuff for that. So the, in the actual story itself, uh, it won't be uh, in that old video game style centric. But I mean, for everything about it, like the branding, uh, the logos, all that stuff. Yeah, it's definitely going to have that old video game feel to it for sure. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. And I, I would love to meet the man who incepted the street ham. Like, how did, how did we land on the idea that street ham is the way to go? I mean, I can think of a million of other items that might have... I don't know. We wouldn't be sitting here talking about it, I guess, if it wasn't street ham, right? Yeah, I think ham will last right. longer out in the world because it's uh, <laughs> it's smoked. So you think they took this into consideration, making final fight? <laughs> what kind of meat? This meat's cure right. It's going to last longer in this trash can. <laughs> I don't know, Mel. <laughs> well, you know those video game uh, uh, developers back in the day. I mean, they weren't rich by any means, so maybe they uh, walked past a. Maybe saw a sandwich or something sitting on the top of a trash can and thought, well, you know, I got to eat today. Yeah, well, sure. A sandwich even makes more sense. But I mean, <laughs> but yeah, whole, no, like, like a, ham like giving turkeys uh, like in a barrel. And <laughs> yeah, like something that should be in a smoker preparing to feed like 20 people uh-huh. is out here just on a, you know, on a lamb leg, just ready to pick up. No. Like who's eating this stuff? The apple makes more sense, too. <laughs> just sitting on a Yeah. I don't right, know about yeah. the dark alley, but. Now, the apple, couldn't you eat or throw that? Or could you do both? Like, eat it like for health and then throw the core to take out apple your <laughs> that's, that's a good idea. <laughs> oh, man. I, I mean, everything else made sense. The chains, the, the bats. Lead the, pipe. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah see, they should have actually picked up the ham and beat someone with oh, it. Oh, now, <laughs> now I'm on board. Yeah. Now okay. I will accept street ham. Now it all makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, just a big tuna. There you go. (laughs) Now, you guys are going to be funding this project via Kickstarter. Can you give us any information on when to expect this project to launch? Um, Well, we're... um we're still kind of exploring. I, we plan to be a little farther along, I think, with the project, but, uh, you know, projects come and go and schedules and whatnot. So um, I think what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to get this book in a completed form enough to be able to shop it around a little bit to see if there are any publishers who sort of get the idea of where we're going and um, can also support us in some of the things that we want to do in addition to the comic book. Um but if not, then yeah, I'd say that Kickstarter is definitely where we need to go. Um, just, just because of the audience and how many how many big gamers there are that are out there who I think would really shine to this idea. So, absolutely, um, it'll definitely be twenty seventeen. It's hard to say when. Yeah. Okay. Quarter one, I'd say we'll have uh, we'll have a good idea of how things are going at that point. Right, especially since uh, that first uh, that first quarter of the year, there's some really good conventions to hit up where some publishers show up that we can 
get some uh, materials in front of people and start talking to some different editors and such. And oh, nice. So. Very cool, man. Very cool. I can't wait to see it. And uh, you guys are going to have to keep us in the loop as to when the Kickstarter's rolling around and we'll get you back on the show, uh, help promote it, get more exposure for it. Some of the things that we um, that we're talking about doing with the book, and this is one of the kind of the driving forces behind the book, too, is um, what we want to do is we recently found out that people make like 16-bit and 8-bit music now. Like, you know, they, oh, yeah. they make mm-hmm. new stuff and there's people out there who like perform original music and it's everywhere. And um, so listen to this stuff like uh, Brian listens to it while he draws and, uh, you know, we both oh, yeah. listen to it just for fun. So what we want to do is we want to get basically either a couple people or one artist who does this and basically make a soundtrack for each issue that when we get it done, it goes onto the title page so that you can download it DRM free and you listen to it while you're going through the comic book. So essentially you have a 16 bit soundtrack playing as the characters that go along beating the crap out of everybody. Wow. Kind of like how when, yeah, kind of like how, like whenever you would like do a, a run through of like, uh, like uh, Double Dragon, you know, it's like each one of those stages has just such a great like feel to it. Like Final Fight, like listening to Katana's theme, uh, whenever you're in the ring with this, <laughs> like fighting a bunch of different Andres, and then you have Katana who jumps in at the very end, and you got to fight him. And uh, like, oh my goodness, like I'd listen to that, I'd listen to that music all the time. And so, uh, you know, it just it just gets you in the mood, you know. The Andres, I forgot about the, the Andres. Right weren't they wearing oh, like yeah. uh, pink leopard like pants? Yeah, and they stuff? Like, like big Andre the Giants with like big kind of dreaded oh, hair. Yeah, but they yeah. were like yeah. wearing like pink stretchy like yeah. leopard pants or something. Like they <laughs> right. their wife's wears that day. <laughs> yeah. And they had day terms day. and everything. Oh, yeah. 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 Laundry day for Andre. <laughs> you know what they say about music and comics? Yeah. What's up? Two great tastes that Ooh, taste great together. Zing! Oh, he got it in there. <laughs> it's like Jake's here. Yep. <laughs> also, another thing that we've been playing with um, is I, I've recently got some like uh, some pixel art like programs on my iPad to start playing around with that and do some animated pixel sprites. And uh, one of the things that uh, I'm going to be working on is remember like in the in the booklets you would have like the move lists. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, one thing that I, you know, I've been playing around with uh, that we want to do is we want to do like all the animated sprite move lists. Uh, as oh, kind of like wow. yeah, they're like at the end of the nice. issue, you know, it's just like some back book material. Um, but one thing that you know uh, we were playing around maybe with doing and uh, is putting like the actual button combos whenever <laughs> they do certain moves, and then reprising those same moves, you know, from issue to issue. Oh wow! Uh, because like whenever you're playing the first couple levels of one of these games it's like when you find out a new move you're like oh my goodness like, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. you know i just hagar like drop kicked a guy in the face you know <laughs> and uh but then like by the end of the game it's like you don't necessarily get stronger you know I mean, it's not like an rpg where you build up those skills right. it's just you get better at playing the game right but they're using those same skills and so um, that's one thing that I'm definitely going to be incorporating into like the panel to panel stuff is some of these same moves, you know, that they use and seeing from different angles. Like the first book is just a bunch of punching and jabbing. And by the second book, you got a couple new moves because you learned them from the first one. That yeah. would be cool. <laughs> For sure. 
some three hit combos, tiger uppercuts, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys are blowing my mind with this premise. I'm yeah. sitting here going, yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> Well, you know, it's like, um, you know, you know, obviously comics are a huge part of my life, but I mean, I always played video games uh, oh, growing yeah. up. And I mean, it's like I've always now there's been some video game comics uh, that have come out. And, uh, like, I read a couple of, like, the Assassin's Creed ones, uh, which there was a couple that were all right. And um, comic book tie-ins, like, some of the Laura Croft ones, uh, like, my buddy uh, Philip Sevy is working on the Laura Croft one based off of the new direction of the video game. Oh, nice. That's from, Is that a Dark Horse book? Yeah, from Dark Horse. Yeah. And uh, and he's killing it on it. So if you guys get a chance, check out that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, new games are awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, so, like, those adaptations are really great, but... Um, I mean, there's there's just nothing that pay homage to those retro games, right? And, uh, so, huh. really looking forward to to show some people some stuff. What was the uh, the book we had on before? Stab Gunner was it? That yeah, Stab Gunner. That was had uh, was laced with video game mm-hmm. references and stuff. That is always a winning combination for me. I will always love the uh, combination of uh, yeah, comics and video games. So I'm stoked to see this. Super stoked. Yes. Uh, is there anywhere that uh, people are going to be able to go or can currently go to check you guys out? Well, I think uh, we're putting together some, uh, maybe some development uh, threads and things of that sort. Hopefully that we're getting, we're organizing that right now okay. to yeah. get it in front of people. Awesome. Well, yeah, uh, just be sure to keep us in touch with that, uh, keep us in contact with that information and we'll get it out to the people the best we can. Right on, man. Thanks so much for being with us, guys. Mm-hmm. Jack, what do we have on the website? Go to candarepodcast.com where you can see show highlights, guest info, listen to the show, follow us on all our social media, visit the Hall of Heroes and see the Wall of Justice, check out some of our videos from our YouTube page, and if you would like to be a guest and promote your work, send us an email on our contacts page. You can find us on Twitter at candarepod and on Instagram at cand underscore air. Kyle, I want to thank you for sitting in these last yeah. two weeks for uh, Jake, who will be returning. Uh, well, I guess we're taking next week off, but uh, the week after. Mm. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to get you back in here sometime. Oh, yeah. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Definitely been a pleasure. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Sit you in the corner and let you stare at us next time. <laughs> <laughs> but don't talk. You talk, we'll beat you or throw you out. One of the two. <laughs> All right. Well, until next time, I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. I'm Kyle Pryor. I'm Scott Schmidt. I'm Brian Atkins. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you want to view paradise, simply look around and view it. Anything you want to do it, want to change the world, there's nothing to it. I know to compare with your imagination living there you'll be free if you
Joey, why don't you come over here and spray paint your name on the wall? But I don't wanna. What are you, chicken? Hold on there, boys. Wow, it's Flint. Instead of writing your name, write CandairPodcast.com and help spread the word. Well, that's a great idea. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! What did you expect? Welcome, Sonny. Make yourself at home. Marry my daughter. You've got to remember that these are just simple farmers. These are people of the land. The common clay of the New West. You know. Morons. Hit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Ride on!